so we are wrapping up our 40th anniversary season here at Grace Bible Church. If you're visiting with us, we're so glad you're here. Uh, we have been having a party for the last, really, six weeks, celebrating God's kindness and His faithfulness to us uh, as a church as we celebrate four decades of our church's existence here uh, in Granbury. Uh, we spent a lot of time, uh, a lot of planning, a lot of manpower, a lot of money to do this and remembering and... and uh, we might ask the question, has it been worth all of that fuss and all of those funds and, and people hours and whatnot? Is it good and wise and honoring the Lord to spend all this time remembering? And uh, the reality is, if you are only a casual reader of the Bible, if you are sort of a, of a drive-by Bible reader, you will see in nearly every book of the Bible that remembering and not forgetting God and His faithfulness and His promises and His kindness is absolutely essential for the people of God. It, it has been time well spent, I believe, based on the Bible, that we would do this. In fact, the Bible has a lot to say about remembering and forgetting. And we saw that in chapter 8. But if you're still in Deuteronomy, just back up a page or two to chapter 4. The Bible continues to present to us as a theme the need to remember God and His promises and not forget God and His Word. And Deuteronomy unfolds that. And I just, I just want to show you a snippet of one biblical book as a, a means to sort of seeing what the whole Bible says about it. Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 9, we see uh, Moses writing to the people again, "...only give heed to yourself and keep your soul diligently so that you do not forget the things which your eyes have seen." And they do not depart from your heart all the days of your life, but make them known to your sons and your grandsons. Here it is, verse 10. Remember the day you stood before the Lord your God at Horeb, that's Mount Sinai where they received the commands of God, when the Lord said to me, Assemble the people to me that I may let them hear my words so that they may learn to fear me all the days that they live on the earth and that they may teach their children. There's Moses saying, you remember some of you actually stood at the foot of the mountain where God descended. And th this is crazy, guys. They actually audibly heard the voice of God from the fire on top of the mountain. They saw the smoke. They saw the lightning, the, the, the divine pyrotechnics that went with that, that theophany where God takes on a visual representation in order to reveal himself to people. They felt the earthquake involved in that. And what does Moses say? It's possible that you might forget that. It's possible that... Because I know what you're thinking. Like me, I'm thinking, man, if I was there, I would never forget that. Uh-huh. If the people of God who were there, all two and a half million of the Israelites, most of them forgot that, you better believe we could forget the promises of God too. Couldn't we? Look down at verse, uh, verse 23 in the same chapter. So watch yourselves that you do not forget the covenant of the Lord your God which He made with you and make for yourself a graven image in the form of anything against which the Lord your God has commanded you. Well, why is He saying that? Because that's what they did in Exodus 32, right? They built the golden calf. Moses delayed on the mountain a little longer. They said, well, you don't know what happened to Moses, so we're going to build this calf. And they literally bowed down and said, this is the God that delivered us from Egypt. Absolute craziness. So he says, don't forget, but remember who God is. Deuteronomy 4, all the way at the end of the chapter, verse 31, look at this. He says, for the Lord your God is a compassionate God. He will not fail you, nor destroy you, nor forget the covenant which your fathers, which he swore 
with your fathers, which he swore to them. God says, I am faithful. I have not forgotten my covenant and I will bring it to pass. Flip the page over. Chapter 5, verse 15. Notice again the theme. The theme of remembering and not forgetting. That's what, what I'm trying to show you here. This is, these are the Ten Commandments repeated in Deuteronomy. They also occur in Exodus chapter 20. He says, remember the Sabbath day, right? And then in verse 15, he tells you why. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out there by a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to observe the Sabbath. He says, remember your deliverance. Remember that and don't forget. Flip the page again. Chapter 6. Chapter 6. And uh, look at verse 10. Then it shall come about when the Lord your God brings you into the land which He swore to your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give you great and splendid cities which you did not build. And just a footnote, if you're new to Christianity and you're like, I don't have a clue what this is all about, let me just bring you up to speed. So what, what's going on here is God has revealed Himself by giving commands and instructions to His people, a, a nation called the Israelites. And here he is telling them that his promise, his covenant, was to bring these people out of Egypt, give them his law, and then give them a whole land that will be theirs to possess. But in order to do that, they have to go in and take the land. So that's what he's talking about here, and Moses is urging them on to go do that. Okay, So, so back to the text now with that little historic footnote. So when you go in and you get great and splendid cities, verse 10, which you did not build, verse 11, and houses full of all good things which you did not fill, and hewn cisterns which you did not dig, and vi- uh, vineyards and olive trees which you did not plant, and you eat and are satisfied, then watch yourself that you do not forget the Lord who brought you from the land of Egypt out of the house of slavery. There it is again, a warning not to forget. Let's look at one final example. Flip the page to chapter 7 and verse 17. Okay, remember they're going to go into the land, right? God's given them the land. All they have to do is go in and God will deliver the people that currently own the land. God will deliver them over to the Israelites. All they got to do is go in and obey. And the Israelites are like, but they're big and they're numerous and they have weapons and they have army, armies and they have you know, fortified cities and, and we're afraid to go do that. Listen to what God says. Verse, chapter 7, verse 17. If you should say in your heart, these nations are greater than I, how can I dispossess them? You shall not be afraid of them. Okay, God, why should we not be afraid? Look at verse 18. You shall well remember what the Lord your God did to Pharaoh and to all Egypt. You remember that? Remember how that went? And uh, remember the great trials which your eyes saw and the signs and the wonders and the mighty hand and the outstretched arm by which the Lord your God brought you out. Remember the ten plagues? Remember the Passover? Remember the shock and awe? Remember the Red Sea? God says, remember, remember, remember what I did to Egypt. And that gives you confidence now to go in and take the land. Okay, I'm getting wound up here. But you get the idea. Don't forget, don't forget, don't forget. Remember, it is crucial to be faithful to what God has called you to do. Now, if we were to expand our study, that's just a little bit of a a sample. We would literally find, guys, this theme of remembering and not forgetting from Genesis to Revelation. It is from cover to cover in your Bibles. The, The commands, this is interesting, the commands to remember and not forget, listen to this, the commands to remember and not forget occur more frequently than the commands to love in your Bible. Did you know that? By almost three to one. This is serious stuff. This is an important theme. Any of you, um, do you remember 
when uh, maybe, maybe uh, you were new in your marriage and, and that first pregnancy came along. Maybe for some of you that was recent. Maybe for some of you it was way back when. Maybe it's, uh, you know, grandchild, something like that. You remember when you know somebody who's pregnant or maybe you and your family are pregnant and all of a sudden you notice all these pregnant people around you that you didn't realize were there? You remember that, that phenomenon? That's what this is like. When you start to think as you're reading your Bible about this remembering and forgetting, you will see it everywhere in your Bible. It is a huge and important theme. And I think if the Bible is making a big deal about it, we probably should pay attention to it, shouldn't we? Okay? So what I want to do is, is unpack for you this, this idea of remembering and not forgetting. Uh, this is a big deal because spiritual forgetfulness is deadly. That's the message of the Bible. We saw that in Deuteronomy 8. Spiritual forgetfulness is deadly. Like a well-meaning mom who forgets her infant son in that locked car on a hot Texas day. Forgetfulness can be fatal. Okay? So we, we, need, we need to really uh, uh, dial in and focus on these things uh, because God makes a big deal out of them. First of all, uh, just by way of introduction, uh, I, I'm not quite to your outline yet. There's an outline in your bulletin if you want to follow along. I'm in the introduction section if you're wondering where am I at. Uh, can I just explain to you, when we talk about forgetfulness, I mean, are we talking about like, okay, commandment number one, commandment number two, I can't quite remember commandment number three. I mean, when we talk about spiritual forgetfulness, is it like I can't remember my Awana verse? Well, that may be, but that's not really what the Bible means. I, I, I want to put a quote on the board. It's, it's not in your, bull, in your bulletin uh, outline, but I put it up here. This is one of the finest Old Testament scholars. His name is Victor Hamilton wrote a great commentary on the book of Genesis. Listen to Dr. Hamilton explain this idea of spiritual forgetfulness, okay? I'll read it and maybe you can see it. Uh, there's nothing wrong with your eyes. Our projector is going. We're going to fix that first. So it looks yellow right in the middle. We're on it, okay? We're going to fix that. But let's, listen to Dr. Hamilton, okay? Spiritual forgetfulness. Forgetting is not simply a psychological act of having a thought pass from one's consciousness, a temporary or permanent lapse of memory. That's not what it means. For, so he's talking about forgetting in the Bible is indicated by frequent identification of the verb with an action. Okay, so here's what he's saying. He's saying the word forget is always often paired with an action word. Okay, it goes together and that gives us some insight. Listen to this. To forget God is to ignore his commands. We saw that in Deuteronomy 8.11. To forget God is to follow other gods. Deuteronomy 8.19. 8.19. To forget God is to stand in fear of harm and danger, to live fretfully and timidly, according to Isaiah 51, 13. To forget God, get this guys, to forget God, according to Psalm 106, is to challenge Him. You say, why is that? Because when we live forgetful of God, we are functioning as practical atheists. This is serious stuff. So in contrast, what do we mean when we talk about spiritual remembering? We don't want to forget God, and that's, that's the plea of these verses we're looking at. Can I just give you a real quick and simple uh, definition of what it means to remember, uh, spiritually remember, in terms of when the Bible says, remember, don't forget, remember, don't forget. What does it mean? Uh, and you can jot this down. This is not in your outline. Uh, it's up on the, the screen there if you want to jot it down. This is what it means to remember spiritually speaking. It means to be conscious of God's presence, to be mindful of God's promises, to be driven by God's commands and encouraged by God's past faithfulness. That's what it means. 
I keep God in my active mind. If I'm driving my car, if I'm going to Walmart, if I'm going to work with my kids, I am thinking about God. Okay? It's consciousness, okay? But also, when you study these commands about remembering and not forgetting, they tend to cluster around these three themes, his promises, his commandments, and his past faithfulness. So you know what that means? If you're going to remember and not forget, these are the things that you need to be saturating your mind with all the time. God's promises. What does he promise to you as a believer? His commands. What has he told us to do? How should we think about this? And and I love this. His past faithfulness. That's personal. I hope that somewhere in your Christian paraphernalia that you have a journal or an app on your phone or a, a, a... you know, a booklet somewhere where you write down how God has personally blessed you and been faithful to you and come through to you because what the Bible is telling us is that is one of the keys to remembering God and not forgetting Him. You know, we have such spiritual amnesia with this, don't we? It's like, you know, God provided for us in an amazing way two weeks ago and then this week we're like, ah, how's it going? Right? And, and we forget. So practicing spiritual remembering is being conscious of God's presence, mindful of God's promises, driven by God's commands, and encouraged by God's past faithfulness. Now, footnote, if you were in Sunday school a few weeks ago on our 40th anniversary Sunday, you're going, this sounds a little bit familiar. It is, it is. I did a a flyover of remembering and and forgetting theology, and so we're going to, this message today will overlap a little bit with that, but you probably forgot anyway, so this is a good reminder, so... Okay, so what I want to do in the reign of our time today is I want to talk with you about four occasions when we need to practice spiritual remembering. Okay, four occasions when we need to practice spiritual remembering. The Bible is going to say, when this happens, remember. When this happens, remember. When this happens, remember. This. Okay, four uh, uh, times when we need to particularly be practicing spiritual remembering. And the very first occasion we already read, if you're still in Deuteronomy, just back up to chapter 8 now, the, the verse, the chapter that we just read. And here it is, ready? You need to practice spiritual remembering when your life is really good, when it's prospering, when it's blessed, when you just are like, it can't get any better. God says, you need to really, really be careful and practice spiritual remembering and not forgetting. And you probably caught that as we read chapter 8 of Deuteronomy. So look back there at the text. Remember, it starts off, chapter 8, verse 1, All the commands that I am commanding you today shall be, you shall be careful to do, that you may live and multiply and go into the possessed land which the Lord swore to give your forefathers. Now, just a footnote, footnote. This is written by Moses to the Israelites, and when he's talking about promises and covenant, that's a promise and a covenant unique to the nation of Israel. Do you have any Israelites here present today? Any Israelites? Israelites? Okay, I didn't think so. So we want to be careful because as we try to interpret this passage rightly, we need to understand this is a promise for Israel, not directly to us. Okay, So we need to not apply it directly and somewhat recklessly since this is not, this is not written directly to us. But, but the good news is... Everything Moses is going to say about remembering and forgetting and what God's goal is for us, all of those are things that apply to all believers for all time, okay? So we're on safe ground in applying those things uh, this morning, okay? And I'll, I'll navigate you through that in a moment. Now, so he says, the goal, you keep the commandments of God, verse 1. Verse 2, how are you going to do that? 
you shall remember all the way which the Lord your God has led you in the wilderness these 40 years. Now stop right there. Does that kind of sound strange? You missed it. Okay, look back there. He says, remember all, and we would expect him to say, the ways, right? All the ways, right? They're both plural. Um, But he doesn't. He says, all the way, singular. And that word way means pattern or habit. So we're supposed to scratch our heads and say, well, we're supposed to remember the pattern or the way or the habit that God has worked in the lives of the Israelites, and we say, well, what pattern is that? What, what, what habit is that? Well, he tells us the pattern through all these years, 40 years through the wilderness, in order that he might humble you and test you to know what was in your heart. So, so this, this is crazy. They're about to go into the promised land. They can see it over the river. They gotta go in. There, there is. And he's gonna say in this chapter, there is every food and there's minerals you can dig and copper and, and you're gonna have great houses and yards and, and, and animals and you're gonna be more prosperous than you've ever been. But here's what I want you to remember. I want you to remember the times that God laid you low. I want you to remember the times in the wilderness when you were disobedient and you dishonored God, and you grumbled about your food, and you grumbled about your lack of food, and you, you grumbled about how long it was taking, and you grumbled about how long Moses was on the mountain, and grumbled, and God used those hardships to humble you, to expose your heart. Why? Why would God let them be hungry? Why would, why would He make them eat, eat manna? You remember what manna, the word manna means, what is it? Because they didn't know what it was. What's that? I don't know. What is it? Right? They had to eat this stuff day after day. Why would God allow trial and suffering and hardship? I thought, I thought he's a good and loving God. He does that to expose your heart and my heart. Why? Look at what he says. He says, God did that, verse 3, so that he might make you understand that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by everything that proceeds out of the mouth of God. That's why he does it. God lays us low. He brings trials. He brings suffering. He brings hardship. He lets you feel the brokenness of this world in particularly personal ways so that you will stop leaning on all this other stuff and you will lean and cling to him alone. That's why he does it. And so he says, I want you to remember that that's God's way. I want you to remember how God humbled you in the wilderness, how he caused you to cling to him, how he had to train you and discipline you. I want you to remember all those things. You say, why would he want us to remember all those things? Because he wants you to live on the word alone, right? Verse 3, he wants you to keep his commandments. Verse 1, he wants you to humbly walk in his ways and fear him above all. Verse 6, that's what he wants. And the way he's going to do that is by humbling you so that you will cling to him alone. You say, I thought this was about prosperity. Well, it is. Look at verse 11. But beware that you do not forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments. You say, well, why would they not keep the commandments? Well, look at what he says. When you have a full belly because of all this plentiful food you're going to have. And when you have a full pasture, because you're going to have all these animals, all these flocks, all these crops, when you have a full bank account, you've got gold and silver from all the the things you're going to inherit from the land, when you are satisfied and happy and full, look out. 
watch out. Because you and I are the most vulnerable when everything is the best it's ever been. And that's the danger. That's the danger, is that in our prosperity, in our blessing, in our fullness, what does he say? That we might forget God and not keep his commandments. In fact, look at what verse 14 says. Then your heart will become proud and you will forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt and all that trial. And you will actually say, verse 17, now look at this. You might actually say in your heart, it was my power and my strength that produced this wealth. Now, can we be honest for a minute? It's easy to wag our finger at the Israelites and say, Bad Israelites, you stood at Mount Sinai. You should know better. But you know what? We do the same thing. Don't we? It is so easy to forget that every good and perfect gift we have comes from above. Right? Jesus says, what, what do you have that you did not receive? And that's what he's saying here. Uh, now, we were shopping with, with my kids the other day, and um, one of them said, and they will rename nameless to protect the guilty, um, Dad, wouldn't it be great if we were rich and we could buy all this stuff? And I looked at him and I said, we are rich. We are rich. Just go to any third world country and you will see how rich we are as Americans, how rich we are as Grace Bible Church. So don't read this and think, huh, that doesn't apply to me because I'm not, no, brothers and sisters, we are rich. We are rich in our country. We are rich in our county. We are rich in our church relative to the rest of the world. And we are vulnerable. It is dangerous to be as blessed and prosperous as we are. And so what does Moses say? What do you do? You remember, you intentionally remember God's way. Now, now don't think Israelites now. Now think your life. How has he humbled you in the past? How has he exposed your sin in the past, your heart? How has he laid you low in the past? And he says, when you're prosperous and when your life is good, you remember that. You remember the, the wickedness of your heart and your need for God's grace and how much you need to, to cling to him alone and live on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God so that we don't get a big head about how great everything is. But we will continue to humbly cling to him and walk with him. So we need to remember God, especially when your life is prosperous. Remember, there are no self-made men in the church, only helpless men who God enables to do great things. That's his message. Um, in in my, my parents' house, there's a, there's a family album of a famous family picture of me and my grandpa. I'm like two or three years old. There's grandpa there. He's holding me up. He bought me a little craftsman hammer. Remember those little kid hammers we used to get? And there I am, and I'm driving a nail. It's about that long, uh, into the side of what became our family room in the house I grew up in. And it's a, it's a great picture because there's little Keith helping grandpa build the house, right? And, you know, you could look back at that picture and say, yeah, you know, I, uh, I helped build the family room. You know, I kind of did that. And the reality is, Grandpa bought the nail, Grandpa bought the hamper, Grandpa had to hold me up, and the reality was I probably hit my finger more than I hit the nail. But that's what we do, isn't it? That's what we do. We say, my power and the strength of my ability did all of this. And we forget that everything that we have comes from God. So here's the thing. Remember times of humbling and testing so that your heart will not grow proud in times of prosperity such that you forget God. And what that means is we need to ask ourselves, what is our wilderness story? 
We all have a past. And we need to keep that in mind so that God will remind us how much we need Him and that we will stay humble. God has been exponentially kind to us at Grace Bible Church for over four decades. And that means we're at risk. We're at risk. So let's remember those things, that His blessings would not be occasions for pride and forgetting Him. That's the first occasion. Let's look at the second occasion where we need to particularly remember and not forget. And that is, remember especially when you are suffering. Follow me over to Psalm 119. Psalm 119. Let's look at a second occasion where we need to remember. Uh, The Bible is going to show us here four times when we need to especially practice spiritual remembering. And Psalm 19 lays out uh, the next one, that's when we're suffering. Now, while you're turning to Psalm 119, let me tell you about this. We don't know who wrote it, but we know whoever it was, this person was in affliction and suffering all the time. When you read Psalm 119, you will find this is a person who was running for his life, who thought he was going to die on many occasions, who was physically suffering, mentally suffering, uh, struggling with depression, struggling with anxiety, struggling with fear, wondering about basic provision of needs. I mean, th- this is whoever wrote this was living a very difficult life when he wrote it. Now, suffering is a huge theme of the context of Psalm 119. And I don't know about you, but the brokenness of the world presses in on us and our families pretty regularly too, doesn't it? I mean, c- could, you, could you raise your hand if I were to ask you and give an account of suffering and brokenness in your life this week, this year? Uh, with a friend, I mean, we've got, we got people shooting up Walmarts in our state. We've, we've got um, that, that mom and young child that were found dead in a parking garage yesterday afternoon. I mean, and just on and on and on. It, it is a dark and broken world that we live in. And the Bible wants to help us to know how do we navigate the suffering of this world. And the psalmist knew something about suffering, and I think he's going to give us a big clue. Okay, so what is the clue the psalmist is going to help us to see that helps us to deal with the suffering and brokenness in our life? Well, let's set it up. Psalm 119. Look at verse 16 first, okay? Verse 16 of Psalm 119. We're going to work our way through a couple of verses here. here, Here's his his statement of what he wants to be true. I shall delight in your statutes. I shall not, what? Say it. I will not forget your word. He says, that's it. That's my goal, to be delighting in your statutes and to not forget your word. Now watch how that plays out through his suffering in the rest of the chapter, okay? So watch how that plays out. Look down at verse 49 now. Verse 49. He says, Remember the word to your servant in which you have made me hope. For this is my comfort in affliction that your word has revived me. We say, wait a minute. What brings us comfort when we're being afflicted? The psalmist says, you know what it is? It's remembering his word. It's going to his word. That comforts me in affliction. Look down at verse 55. O Lord, I remember your name in the night, and I keep your law. This has become mine that I observe your precepts. What's he saying? He's saying, um, there were some nights that my suffering was so bad I couldn't sleep. You ever read one of those nights? And we say, well, psalmist, what helped you? And he says in verse 55, Oh, Lord, I remember your name in the night and I keep your law. He says, my memory, remembering God in the night is what helps me when I'm struggling in the middle of the night. Look down at verse uh, 82. 
He says, my eyes fail with longing for your word while I say, when will you comfort me? Ever had one of those days? You're praying and praying and praying, Lord, help me, comfort me, save me, intervene, answer my prayer. And and he says, my eyes are failing, longing for that to happen. Longing for his word to come to pass uh, while asking for God to comfort him. Verse 83, look at this. Though I become like a wine skin in the smoke. Let me help you with that. In those days, wine was kept in a wine skin. And what happened was, in order to keep that wine skin from leaking out, uh, the, the wine from leaking out, you had to keep that wine skin from drying out. And so when he talks about a wine skin in the smoke, this is a wine skin that has cracked and dried up and is useless. And he's saying, Lord, that's how I feel. I feel like I'm used up, I'm cracked up, I'm, I'm struggling, I'm broken, I'm afflicted, I'm useless. Why don't you answer my prayer? And what does he say? And yet it's his word that he remembers. Look at this. He says, though I become like a wineskin in the smoke, I do not forget your statutes. And that helps him when he's feeling useless and worn out. Look at verse 109. Just skip down a little more the page to... Uh, 109, he says, my life is continually in my hand. You know what that means? That means he felt like he could die at any moment on multiple occasions from all of the threats around him. And yet, what does he say? I feel like my end of my life is coming. It's continually in my hand. I could die any day. Yet I do not forget your, your law. When he's in danger of death, he doesn't forget, but he remembers. Look down at verse 141. 141. He says, I am small and despised. What's that mean? I feel insignificant. I feel like no one cares. I feel like I've been rejected. Maybe you know what that feels like. Maybe you've had a situation like that where a family member or a friend has rejected you for no fault of your own. And you just feel like, what's the point? The psalmist says, when I feel small and despised, rejected, insignificant, what does he say? He says, yet I do not forget your precepts. Do you notice the theme? Hardship, struggle, difficulty, affliction, but I don't forget. And that's the key. When you're suffering, it is so important to not forget the promises of God. Actually, the last verse of this whole chapter, he says, when we've gone astray, he actually says, I have gone astray like a lost sheep. Even when you are wandering away from the Lord, you're living in sin, you know you're living in sin, don't give up. The promises of God can still help you because the promises of God will bring you to repentance. So don't give up. Remember, don't forget. Remember, don't forget. You say, why is this so important in suffering? Because here's what suffering does. Suffering and affliction distorts and blurs your perception of reality. Have you noticed that? Do you notice that you make really bad decisions when you're desperate and when hard things are going on and you're having trouble thinking clearly and you don't know up from down? And and the psalmist is saying, when you're like that, you need an anchor in your soul. You need something to bolt your spiritual feet to the truth of God, to the promises of God. You need something to stabilize the ship of your life that is coming to the brink of ruin. And how do you do that? 
you remember the promises of God. You don't forget the Word of God. That will stabilize you in the midst of the storms of life. So do not forget. Do not listen to your emotions. I've said this before. I will say it again. Your emotions lie to you in affliction. Your feelings are not the standard of what is true. Only God's Word is truth, according to Jesus. And if you make your emotions or your feelings or some other unreliable navigational aid in the middle of affliction, you will not only make a bad decision, you will, you will potentially compromise your spiritual health. And that may end in what the Bible calls the shipwreck of your faith. You need to not forget, but remember the Word of God. Do not abandon what you know in the middle of suffering. Don't Google it. Go to God, okay? Write that down. Don't Google it. Go to God or, or Godle it. Can we say Godle it? Can I make that up? Don't Google it. Godle it. Go to God, okay? Because He is what you need, especially when you're suffering. Let's look at a third occasion now. Uh, we need to remember, especially when things are good, when we're blessed, when our life is prosperous. We need to remember, especially when you are suffering. Let's look at a third occasion. Uh, follow me over to Lamentations chapter 3. Kind of in the middle of your Bible. If you're in Psalms, just turn to the right till you get into the prophets. Isaiah, Jeremiah, and then the book of Lamentations. It's a little, small little book tucked between uh, Jeremiah there and Ezekiel. Two big, massive books. So it's easy to slip by it. Jeremiah chapter 3. Uh, let me tell you what's going on. Or Excuse me, Lamentations chapter 3. Lamentations chapter 3. Let me tell you what's going on. Lamentations, as the name implies is a lament. A lament is a poem of sorrow, a song of sorrow. The book of Lamentations is a book that pours out the, the misery and sorrow and sadness of Mr. Jeremiah. You say, well, what's going on? Well, remember, Jeremiah was handpicked by God to be one of the great prophets of God, to take his message to, to Judah, the southern kingdom, the, the city of Jerusalem, because they were abandoning God, they were worshiping false gods, and, and God says, if this continues, I'm going to have to take disciplinary action. The Babylonians are going to come in, they're going to destroy everything in your city, destroy your temple, destroy the wall, and they're going to take you off to be their slaves in Babylon. And Jeremiah was the guy to go in and... and rescue them, to call them out of that to repentance. Jeremiah ministered for 40 years. 40 years. He had no converts the whole time. And here's how his ministry ended, okay? His ministry ended with lamentations where he's sitting on the hilltop outside Jerusalem, looking down to the Temple Mount, watching his city and his temple that he loves burn because the Babylonians have invaded and everything's on fire. I don't know if you've ever felt like a failure in your life, but I am certain that Mr. Jeremiah felt like an utter failure at this point in his ministry. Look at Lamentations chapter 3. I am the man who has seen affliction because of the rod of his wrath. He has driven me 
and made me walk in darkness and not in light. Surely against me he has turned his hand repeatedly all the day. He has caused my flesh and my skin to waste away. He has broken my bones. He has besieged and encompassed me with bitterness and hardship. And we're going to interrupt Jeremiah here in a minute and say, who is he talking about? Who is he talking to? Talk, tell me, who is he? He's talking to God. Look back at it. God, I am the man who has seen affliction because of your rod of wrath against me. You've driven me and made me walk in darkness. Surely against me God has turned his hand repeatedly all the day. He, God, has caused my flesh and my skin to waste away. He, God, has broken my bones. He has besieged and encompassed me with bitterness and hardship. He has made me walk in darkness like those that have been long been dead. God is doing this to me. Have you ever felt like God is against you? Have you ever felt, though you be a part of His family, that God feels more like an enemy than a friend? Look at verse 7. He has walled me in so that I cannot go out. That's how most people that have clinical depression describe it. They're in a box, a dark box, they can't get out. Jeremiah says, God put me in this dark box and he's not letting me out. That's how it feels. He has made my chain heavy. Like Jeremiah just walking around with this chain that's dragging him down. God did that. Jeremiah says, even when I cry out and call for help, I'm praying, God, I'm crying out to you. He shuts out my prayer. He will not listen to me. He doesn't answer me. He doesn't care. Verse 9, He has blocked my ways with hewn stone. He has made my path crooked. It's like God keeps putting these, these speed bumps in front of my life. I, I hit one affliction, then another affliction, and another problem. He's, he's just pouring on. It's like, it's like a game to God. He just throws down all this suffering in my life. He's unrelenting. It's pain after pain, sorrow after sorrow, affliction after affliction. Will you not stop? God's made my path crooked. He is to me, God is to me like a bear lying in wait, like a lion in secret places. He has turned aside my ways and torn me to pieces. He has made me, he says, God, it feels like you're uh, an animal. You're a bear or a lion. And around every turn of my life, you're pouncing on me and tearing me to pieces. What are you doing? He's like an archer who sets me as a target for his arrow. God is shooting at him. He is, he is killing him, Jeremiah says. God is killing me. He made the arrows, verse 13, of his quiver to enter into my inward parts. You ever hurt so much mentally or emotionally that it feels like physical pain? It's worse than physical pain? That's Mr. Jeremiah. I have become a laughing stock to all my people. Their mocking song all the day. This is how bad it was. He's the prophet of God. He's handpicked. This is the Navy SEAL in the Navy of God. That's what the prophets were. These are the best of the best. And as Jeremiah would come into the city, people would sing these songs. They made up songs mocking the prophet. Well, how would that be on your commute to work every day? He says, God's behind that. 
Verse 15, he has filled me with bitterness, God has. He has made me drunk with wormwood. That was a, a bitter uh, plant. Verse 16, he, God has broken my teeth with gravel. He has made me cower in the dust. My soul has been rejected from happiness. And Mr. Jeremiah, the prophet of God, who knew personally the one from whom all blessings flow and whose right hand are pleasures forever, actually says this in verse 17, I have forgotten what it's like to be happy because my misery has been so long. So he says, my strength has perished and so is my hope from the Lord. I'm done. I'm done with this. I, I, I quit. I hurt so much, my pain is too much, and God is the one responsible. You ever felt like God is against you? You ever felt more like God's enemy than his friend, though you be in Christ? Verse 19, remember my affliction and my wandering, the wormwood and my bitterness. He says, that's what my life's about, affliction, bitterness, Watch this. Verse 20. Surely my soul remembers and is bowed down within me. This I recall to mind, therefore I have hope. What is the rescue agent that pulls Mr. Jeremiah out of this dark place of hopelessness where he's ready to throw in the prophetic towel and go do something else with his life? What is it? He remembers. He remembers. He recalls something to mind. We say, whoa, whoa, what was it? I want to know, right? He, got, he has hope. He's gone from no hope and giving up and forgetting happiness and all this bad stuff and God is responsible to all of a sudden he has hope. Don't you want to know what came to mind? Well, it's a good thing he tells us. Look at this. The Lord's, verse 22, the Lord's loving kindnesses indeed never cease. His compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul, therefore I have hope in Him. He remembers what? The promises of God. He remembers the character of God. He remembers the works of God. And what does it do? It completely turns Him around emotionally. Do you see the hope in that? Because I mean, get, get this, get this. Look up for a minute. You've got to get this. What happened between verse uh, 20 and 21? Circumstantially, uh, did God bring in the angelic fire department to put out the Jerusalem fire and kick out the Babylonians with the cosmic police force and, and restore Jeremiah? There's mass revival like Nineveh or something. Is that what happened? Absolutely nothing has changed circumstantially for Mr. Jeremiah. What's changed? His heart. Because he remembers. Do you, do you understand this? Your heart follows what you're remembering. Your heart is following what you're focusing on. The, the, what you believe in that moment. And you can, you can have a, a master of theology degree. And if you're not focusing on remembering the promise and character of God, you are as good as a functional atheist in that moment. And that's what we do. That's why remembering is so important. 
And, and you know the hymn, that's where the hymn comes from. Great is your faithfulness. Every morning, every, I'm here to tell you, every morning, whatever your affliction, your personal affliction, not Jeremiah, yours, mine, whatever that affliction, every morning, the promises of God, the faithfulness of God, the character of God, the work of God is new and available to you. Will you remember it? Will you access it? Will you believe it? Will you live in light of it? Don't believe the lies of your emotions or your experience or your circumstances. If you've ever felt like God is against you, you're in really good company. Because Mr. Jeremiah felt like that too. And yet he helps us, doesn't he? To remember and not forget. And notice what he says. My circumstances haven't changed at all. What does verse 24 say? The Lord is my portion. What does that mean? He says, I don't have a city, I don't have a ministry, I have no converts, it feels like God is against me, the, uh, the city's burning, the Babylonians are here, I'm probably going to get carried off too, but I have God. He is my portion and therefore I have hope. C- can you say, can you say with the prophet, though I might lose everything else, if I have God, I really do have everything. That's the challenge of this, to remember his character and his work. So on your notes there, sorry, I'll catch up here. Especially, remember especially when you feel like God is against you. You're in good company with the prophets of old to remember that. Well, there's one more occasion that we need to go to the New Testament. To see. One more occasion when we need to especially remember God and his promises and his works. And we find it in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And it's this. Remember especially when you come to communion. Now, we have communion elements in front of us, so it's appropriate that we talk about this today. Remember, especially when you come to communion. Um, Look at verse uh, 11. Well, actually, hang on. Before you get to 1 Corinthians 11, uh, let let me just set this up a little more. Um, Remembering is so important to your life and to my life as Christians. God ordained two ordinances that all Christians everywhere would keep. Okay, That's how important remembering is. Two ordinances of remembering. Okay, The first one's called baptism. When you first trust Christ, you go through this uh, uh, ritual called baptism where we, we take in, we fill this up with hopefully warm water and dump it down and bring you back up. And, and what, what you're doing, what baptism is, baptism is a, a physical picture of an inward reality. Right? You, you guys understand this. Baptism is a way for a person to recall and remember their identification with Jesus in his life and death and resurrection. That's what baptism pictures. It's an ordinance of remembering. When a person gets baptized, what are they saying? They're saying, I am identified with Christ and I'm remembering that. So there's a remembering thing on the front end of your Christian life. And then the second ordinance, what we call communion, Jesus says, do it in remembrance of me, right? As often as you drink it. So your whole Christian life, from your baptism to the day Jesus comes back or he takes you to be with him, you're to remember, you're to remember, you're to remember every time we come to communion. Why? Because remembering is kind of important. Because forgetting is potentially spiritually fatal. 
So Jesus sets up this whole thing and says, you do this regularly, and every time you do it, you do it in remembrance of me. Okay, you got it? Makes sense? Baptism is remembering your identification with Christ. It's the application of your redemption. Communion is remembering the person and work of Christ, and that's the foundation of your redemption. Okay, so, so, so look, let's look at the text here. 1 Corinthians 11, and uh, that parallels Luke 22, so they're, they're both there. Uh, Paul writes to the Corinthians, verse 23, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus in the night in which he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he said, now watch this now, This is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of... What's the word? Watch. you got to get this. This is so important. The foundation of the Christian's remembering. From Genesis to Revelation, there's all this stuff. The foundation of the Christian's remembering is remembering a person. It's remembering Jesus. You say, well, why? Isn't that oversimplifying it? There's all the promises of God and the character of God. Why does he say here, remember Jesus? Why doesn't he say, remember everything? Well, because Colossians tells us it's in Christ that all the riches of wisdom and knowledge are hidden, right? Ephesians says it's in Him that we have redemption in His blood. Listen, Jesus as the Word incarnate, because of that, the character of God, the work of God, the promises of God, the commandments of God, the benefits of God, everything else the Bible says to remember is ultimately rooted in, you ready? The person and work of Jesus. So we come to remember Him. Jesus is the root system out of which every promise, every benefit, every character, every work, every truth that you need to know to get you through this life and on to the next is found in Him. So we remember Jesus. We remember Him. So notice, go back to the text. This is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup also after supper and saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Okay, so remember, remember me, remember me. Remembering is so important that God ties two ordinances that the church practice indefinitely until he comes so that we do not forget but we will always remember. Okay, So I don't know how you are on Communion Sunday. Communion Sunday is a time to reset, refocus, reprioritize, and remember that my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. That's all we've got, guys, is Jesus as a foundation. Oh, there's one more thing. This is kind of cool. Look at verse 26. Paul adds this. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup... You proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. (laughs) I love this. Oh, you're going to love this too. What on earth does he mean by that? What does he mean when we gather around this table, we're going to do this in a minute, and we're going to corporately, collectively have this meal together, we proclaim Jesus' death. What do you think that means? And and you can talk. It's okay. I know it's church, but you can talk. Um, What does that mean? He died for our sins. Okay, that's right. You can talk, really. It's okay. This is, the, this is your cue, right? I got the mic to you, okay? Here, here you go. We look forward to his return. Okay, that's true. What does it mean we proclaim his death until he comes back? Being a witness. What, is it, what does proclaim sound like? It sounds like preaching. 
It, it sounds like evangelizing, like spreading the gospel. You know why? Because that's what he means. You, you got you to get this. This is amazing. In baptism, an individual remembers their identification with Jesus. And what do they do? They publicly profess it to the church. That's why we don't do baptisms in closets you know, somewhere. right? We do it publicly because it's a public proclamation. This is Jesus. This is the gospel. And in communion, we do that together. Listen very closely. Because corporate remembering in communion is collective proclamation of the gospel. Do you see that? When we come together, we are preaching, as it were, the gospel to one another, saying, this is our foundation. There's no other hope than Jesus. There's no other gospel. There's no other trick to life. No other secret decoder ring to to Christian success. There's none of that. It's Jesus, and he is alone the foundation And when we corporately come together for this meal, we are collectively proclaiming Jesus, not to the outside world. This is interesting. It's gospel preaching, not to unbelievers outside, but to who? To one another. We never, ever, ever move beyond the gospel. It is always the foundation, always the focus, our only standard on which we can stand. And so in communion, we take it together, remembering together, as a means of preaching that and reminding one another, this is our foundation. If we don't have Jesus, we don't have anything. You get it? That's what communion's all about. Did you know there's one kind of preaching that preachers can't do? It's true, right? Preachers can't preach the way that the church comes together around the table and preaches corporately to one another. It's a corporate preaching, a corporate proclamation. So um, let's do it. Let's do it. Men, come on up here. We are going to do something that no one... You get this. We're going to do what no one else in the world other than Christians can do. We are going to come together and remember Jesus and his life and his death and his resurrection together as one body, as his church. And as we eat this bread and as we drink this cup, we are preaching to one another. We are proclaiming the gospel. We are saying, as it were, to one another, my hope is in no one but Jesus. I don't have anything else but Jesus. There's no secrets. There's no tricks. We stand on Jesus and his gospel alone. And so when you take that bread and when you take this cup, remember, that's what you're doing. You're saying to all these people around you, I believe this. I have stuck my life on this and I don't have anything else other than him. Okay, Is that that what you believe? If you believe that, will you come and participate in this meal? If your hope is in no one other than Jesus, then this meal is for you. If you don't believe that, then I want you to watch. Because what we believe as a church is that we have no other hope than this Jesus. There there is no political system. There is no legislation. There is no amount of finances or aid. There is no secret wisdom that's going to fix this whole thing. Only Jesus is going to fix it, and he fixes it in the gospel when by grace, through faith alone, we put our trust in him, and he comes inside of us. We become a part of his family. His Holy Spirit empowers us, and he begins to change us until he comes again. And again, that that is all we got. So if you don't know Jesus, you watch because we want you to see the hope that we have and the answers that we have in him in hopes that you will see that you need those answers too in him. Okay?